You're listening to the Rabbit Room Podcast. Visit us at rabbitroom.com for more information. Hey folks, you're listening to the Rabbit Room Podcast. Uh, My name is Pete Peterson. I'm here with John Barber. And we are going to talk about our favorite films of 2016. We should probably make a, a slight distinction between best films of t- 2016 and favorite films of 2016. Like, I don't know. We both have independently come up with our list. Do you want to say hi, John? Just so everybody. Hey, guys. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Yeah, he's there. So I don't know how John came up with his list. Um, I, I kind of approached mine as my favorite movies of the year which are, are often the same as what I think are the best movies of the year, but not always. What, what did you do, John? Yeah, it's it's kind of a combination of those two things. I mean, somehow I, you have to acknowledge the quality of something, even if it uh, – maybe if you really like something, but you, you kind of know you unreasonably like it. Like I'll push it down a little bit. And there are some movies that I think are just really great but still manage not to make my top ten. Yeah, yeah. And I guess I did the same thing. Now that I look at the list again, I do feel like it ended up being what I thought were the best films. Um, And some of my honorable mentions are my favorite films. Um, So anyway, let's just uh, we're not going to go through the whole thing in in detail because we'll be here for an hour. Uh, So what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to go through my 10, 9, 8, 7, 6 uh, and just briefly make some comments on it. Or actually, let's let John go first. And then once we've talked about uh, that lower portion of the list, we'll talk about the top five in a little bit more detail. Um, So, John, you're up. Cool. Um, Yeah, so I saw a lot of great movies this year, and um, I keep a running list on Letterboxd as I go um, throughout the year, and I just sort of rank all throughout the year until at the end of the year I end up with. uh, Last year I saw 45 films, and I've got them all ranked in Letterboxd. So if you're curious about uh, where certain things rank, you can you can check that out. And um, by the way, just for trivia's sake, the bottom two movies of those forty five, just because this is fun, are Batman versus Superman and Suicide Squad. So, awesome. <laughs> it, I mean, it's no secret to anybody that ever listens to this podcast that I'm not a big fan of those. But yeah, those are all the way at the bottom. So just like, uh, really quick, how do you get to that list? It's on Letterboxd, and then can I just yeah, search my, for your name? Yeah, my my username is JB Baby seventy six on letterboxd baby 76 gotcha. yeah and i've got lots of lists and stuff on there you can you can take a look at but i did see like so many good movies this year that it was really hard to narrow down and in fact i i literally before we started recording shuffled my top 10 around a little bit um and i saw a really good movie earlier today called captain fantastic with vigo mortensen that didn't quite make my list but i really liked it a lot but at number 10 uh, I've got a movie that people are going to be talking about a lot in the next couple of days. And it's one that ever since I saw it, it just st- has stuck with me. I can't get it out of my head. And that's uh, Barry Jenkins' Moonlight, which is uh, kind of a coming of age tale like a lot of great movies are. This one uh, is, di- is different, though. It manages to eschew all of the traditional trappings that come along. Uh, with that kind of story and it's it's just it's beautiful and and it's um the colors are amazing and i'm sure we'll talk about best director oscars at some point but i'm really pushing for jenkins to win that thing i I would love to see it Uh, it's a gorgeous film so that's my number 10 
I wish I had more time to talk about all these, but we got, we got to blaze through the first half. So at number nine, speaking of movies that stick with you, um, fun fact about this movie, I, I watched this movie at your house, Pete. Really? Um, yeah, world? I watched. I have no on memory Netflix. of this. Yeah, because you weren't there. Um, on When I was there for Hutchmoot last year, um, I watched Ava DuVernay's documentary 13th. Oh, yeah. Um, which is a movie that just pierced me. <laughs> yeah. Um, an exploration of the, the ramifications of what DuVernay considers modern-day slavery, which is the, the prison system. Yeah. And... Yeah, go ahead. I, I thought about uh, putting that one on my list. I didn't. And, like, I really loved the documentary. I think everybody should watch it. But I was also dissatisfied by it, specifically because I felt like there were there were a lot of solid arguments against his case that they didn't address. And I feel like one of the things that makes a good documentary a good documentary is that they represent fairly all sides of an issue. And I felt like they failed to represent certain sides of that issue. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't get that, but I just it, everything from the graphics to the yeah, it was great. The, yeah, it's just it's beautiful, uh, and and really hard to watch. Um, at number, what am I? At number eight. Another movie you'll probably be hearing about a lot, which is uh, Manchester by the Sea. Hmm. Uh, Casey Affleck, Michelle Williams, and uh, Kenneth Lonergan's. I mean, it's it's a dreary movie. There's no way around it, um, but it's gorgeous and it's um, it's just about a perfect movie in terms of the performances and and the direction and the script and those kinds of things. When you when you talk about a movie that hits everything just right, Manchester by the Sea really does. And Michelle Williams, I'm about ready to call Michelle Williams the best actor of her generation. Really? She's just she's she's great in it. Man, she's I'm not even sure I know who she is. I haven't. Oh, I have not seen Manchester by the Sea. You should. It's, yeah, it's great. Um, and then next on my list, and you're probably going to beat me up for this, Pete. <laughs> I'm I'm anticipating this because I've got this so low on my list. Oh my gosh! Don't don't say Doctor Strange. No, 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 no. I liked oh. Doctor Strange. No, I, no. Notice I said so low on oh, my I list. Oh, I see. Okay, gotcha. Um, so at number seven, I've got Silence. Really? Yeah, wow. Scorsese's film. Fascinating. Which I I, I liked. I liked it a whole lot. Um, I liked all these movies a whole lot. Um, at the end of it, first of all, I think Scorsese did a great job adapting the book. He hits the notes right, all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end, I said, I'm glad I watched that and I'm good. And that was it. And um, huh. I, I didn't <laughs> – I had a – this is so minor. And again, you're going to beat me up for it. But <laughs> Garfield and Driver were, were fine. But – I just I could have used this. They were two. They were two white guys playing Portuguese priests, and it kind of bugged me the whole time. Yeah, I'm going to beat you up about that. Yeah, it's but okay. I'll I, do it later. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I, I understand, and I get the love for the movie. I really, I really liked it a lot. Yeah. I just thought it could have been, I don't know, something a little bit more. Okay. Maybe, maybe I just maybe my expectations were too high right. going but, in. But we're still in the top ten, so that's okay. Yeah, we're still. If in it the top wasn't 10. in your top ten, then I don't know that I, we could talk anymore. Okay, speaking speaking of things you're going to beat me up for, num- my number six movie, um, which I imagine I'll I'll hear about on your list is uh, La La Land. Okay, that's fair. And and I, again, it's not that I 
like I liked it a lot. It seems like I'm not giving it much cred because it's a number six, but it's, I just like the other ones above it more. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's great. I, I I walked out of it going, I can't wait to see it again. Yeah. Um, so it's beautiful, and I it's going to win Best Picture probably, and I'm totally cool with that. Yeah. So that's right. it. That's my ten through six. That was okay. So. Uh, mine is there is no crossover in our ten through six. That's interesting. Cool. Okay, cool. so one, I just want to say about my list. Um, I cheated for one thing, which we'll get to later, because <laughs> it frustrates me that that film and television are both cinematic arts, but they get put in different lists, and and most of the time that's appropriate. In this case, and we'll talk about it when I get there. I felt like this is one of the best pieces of filmmaking this year. So I included it. Uh, and I'll, and I'll just briefly say right. that like I had, a, okay, so I didn't I'm know that ex- was on the table. I might've had a different list. Yeah. Sorry. I just felt like I couldn't leave it off. I, I feel that passionately about it. So I feel like uh, before I start my list, I just want to give one honorable mention. I really only have one honorable mention and, uh, that's rogue one. I mean, I'm, I'm it's definitely not a movie that's going to end up in anybody's top 10 list It's a movie with tons of problems. Uh, structurally, <laughs> writing, like, I mean, I could pick it apart. But I, I, I couldn't not mention it because the third act of that movie is one of my favorite things in my life. <laughs> <laughs> like, just the way that, the, like, the, the, the finale and the space battle and the ground battle and all that were so completely Star Wars that it was kind of like the Star Wars stuff that I wanted to see for 30 years. And, and uh, the Force Awakens, I felt like delivered in the like Jedi duel area, but didn't deliver at all in the like space battle arena. Anyway, so I just want to mention Rogue One, which is one of my favorite movies of the year. But just I, hey, Pete, yeah, that's num- that's number twelve on mine. I mean, I love okay. I love yeah. the heck out of it. So. Yeah, I did too, but like I recognize its flaws, so you yep. know, I'm not going to put it high on the list. So quickly, uh, my number ten was Midnight Special which is definitely a flawed movie. Um, I should also say before I start this list that I didn't see nearly as many movies as John did. And I'm a little uh, frustrated by some of them that I didn't get to see like Manchester by the sea and moonlight and lion. Uh, those are huge movies this year that I didn't get to see. So I'm not sure how that would change my list if I had, but at this point, midnight special was one of my favorite films of the years. I love Jeff, Jeff Nichols direction. Like every movie of his that I see, I'm just completely riveted by it. And so Midnight Special has some flaws. Like there's some things about it that I would change. But as far as just like a movie that I am completely captivated by, it was one of my favorites this year. That's number 10. Number nine is a movie I just saw last week. Uh, It's called Patterson. Um, And I I described this to somebody as the most boring film that I ever loved. Uh, (laughs) Did you see this one, John? I haven't actually. That's one of my my regrets. I think you would like it. Um, it's a film by Jim Jarmusch, who uh, I'm not a big fan of. I, I, I'm always hit or miss on his movies. So I didn't have a whole lot of expectations going in, except that I knew that a lot of people were talking it up. Uh, and I will say that all the way through the movie, I wasn't sure if I liked it. And yet, all the way through the movie, I was completely delighted by it. Um, and then when it finished, I, I still wasn't sure if I liked it, but it's one of those films where the more I think about it, the more I realize how really good it is. Uh, and, and it's, it's primarily, I think a, a formal success in that the, the form that the movie takes, the way that the movies form, um, elucidates its subject is what's great about it. And that's something a lot of people are not going to appreciate. 
uh, and it's a very slow film. So uh, it was one of my favorites of the year, but it, that, I, it's not going to be, it's never going to be a huge popular film. Uh, number eight, Hail Caesar. Uh, the Coen brothers, like it's almost impossible to, for them to make a movie that I'm going to not like. Yeah, uh, they, they have certainly done it. <laughs> there are a few out there, but Hail Intolerable Caesar. cruelty, anyone? Yeah. I totally loved Hail Caesar. Every, every minute of the film I loved. I don't feel like it's uh, top shelf Coen brothers. I feel like it's second shelf, you know, kind of fits, fits in there with uh, stuff like, um, uh, like the man, the man who wasn't Fink there, and yeah, yeah, Blood Simple maybe, uh, yeah. the, the ones that are not my absolute favorites, but that I still mm-hmm. love. Yep. Uh, and hey, it, I mean, I wish we could give Channing Tatum an Oscar for that dance scene. Oh my gosh, so good, so good. <laughs> um, everybody in that movie was good. Okay, then yeah. so then number six is Florence Foster Jenkins. Um, uh, Meryl Streep, uh, is she, did she get nominated for an Oscar for this this year? If, she did. Okay, thank goodness because she totally deserves it. Um, I don't know that she deserves to win, but she certainly deserves a nomination. Uh, I had no idea what this movie was. Uh, my brother-in-law kind of uh, roped us into going. Uh, I didn't, I'd never heard of it, didn't know anything about it. And two hours later, it was one of my favorite movies of the year. It's just hysterical, well-acted, poignant. Um, it has a lot to say, I think, about how we approach art and how we react to art. And, you know, how do you deal with somebody that maybe is creating something that they really believe in, but that is also awful, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, how do you react to that, to that person? It's complicated. And uh, I think this film, what, part of what's so beautiful about it is it finds a way to react to her in a way that's loving um, and doesn't uh, denigrate her or turn her into a circus freak or make fun of her. Uh, it really elevates what she, she did at the same time that it acknowledges that she was just one of the worst singers ever. And that's a really yeah. complicated thing to do in a film. So anyway, kudos to those folks. So that's my top, or that's my bottom five. So uh, let's just go back and forth now. Uh, What was your number five? So uh, my number five movie of the year is one that probably not a lot of people are going to have seen, and that stinks because it's really good. It's a movie called Cretia. I've never Um, heard of that. Yeah, so it's a it's a first time feature by a guy named Trey Edward Schultz. It's it was. it's available on Amazon Prime. It's his debut. It's it, the the cast is all uh, people you've never heard of, including the lead, who's Cretia Fairchild, who's amazing. And the, the story is about a family that comes together for Thanksgiving, and Cretia is the aunt who is has come back to the family after a few years of estrangement, and we don't really find out why until about two thirds of the way through the movie. And it is one of the one of the most profound films maybe that I've ever seen about family dynamics. It wow. plays it plays a bit like a horror movie, <laughs> okay. which is which is but it but it's not. And there there's a scene that involves a, a cooked Thanksgiving turkey hitting the ground that is one of the <laughs> it's one of the most intense scenes I saw all year. It's just good and um the the cast is phenomenal like i said you've never seen any of them before um did you say this is on amazon prime yeah it's an you can stream it on amazon prime okay and um it is it's worth it man like it it uh it's just intense okay and and it's well acted well directed and funny and sad and all of those things and it comes together 
at this climax that it just it just blows you away. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, yeah I, I loved it. I'm going to check that out. Great. All right, so my number five is another Jeff Nichols film. Uh, I'm so happy that he did two this year. And this one's called Loving. I can't remember. Well, what, are, what are the stars' names? Remind me. Uh, Ruth Negga, and Ruth Negga. Uh, who's nominated for Best Actress, and Joel right. Edgerton. Joel Edgerton. So uh, I, this is another film that, like, a lot of people, I, I don't know that everybody's going to like it because it's very, very slow, Like it, which is what I love about it. Like, it's very quiet. Uh, rather than focusing on like the conflict in a marriage, like it focuses on the the quiet understanding and uh, the beautiful little things that happen in the context of this very difficult marriage. It's about it's about a man and woman in the I don't know probably it's this is it the fifties I think it's the fifties yeah it's the end of the fifties um, uh, she's African American he's white uh, they get married uh, which is illegal in Virginia at that time. And they are basically banished from their state and told not to come back for 25 years, or they'll be arrested again. And so it's a it's a true it's a real story that uh, you know ends up in the Supreme Court and ends up kind of changing uh, the Constitution, which is amazing. And it's just a like Ruth Nega in this is magical. Like I, you can't take your eyes off her. And I kept reminding myself that oh my gosh, this is the this is the spiky lady from Agents of Shield. <laughs> Agents of Shield, <laughs> yeah, yep, that's like right. A, I don't know if you've watched Agents of Shield in, in season two. Yep. She's like the bad, the villainess who get who gets into the Terrigen and uh, becomes an inhuman that has spikes all over her body. And yep. she always kind of irritated me in that show. I felt like she was over the top and just kind of one note never did anything for me and it's almost unimaginable this is the same actress because she's so good in this uh so like i i have absolutely nothing bad to say about the film i loved every minute of it uh it's just quiet and beautiful and one of the most i think um just beautiful depictions of love and marriage that i've seen in a movie um for and partly because of what i said like i i love that it doesn't focus on the conflicts because typically when you see a movie about relationships, uh, it's about falling in love and then conflict and then resolution. And this manages not to do that. The, context, the conflict is external and, and they are just beautiful together. And the way that he loves her and she loves him is consistently um, just kind of awe-inspiringly beautiful. Um, so that's my, that's my number five. Uh, yeah, you you may hear a little bit more about that movie here in a few minutes okay, from the <laughs> just preview of coming attractions. So <laughs> I may also have liked it. Um, so at number four, um, I didn't see this movie till the very end of the year. And it's one that as soon as I saw it, I told everybody else in my family that didn't see it with me. We have to see this all together again as I soon as we possibly is. can. <laughs> I loved it. It's it's my favorite Disney film in years uh, and years and years, and it's Moana. Oh, that's not what, not I what you expected. No, okay, uh, no, it's Moana, and um, it's the the music by Lin Manuel Miranda is brilliant and funny and clever and smart and catchy. It's the first Disney movie soundtrack I've purchased in really who knows how long. I oh. liked it so much. Uh, we and we listen to it all the time. Um, the dialogue is so good, and the the visuals, of the 
the shots of the boats on the sea are just compelling yeah. and captivating. And, uh, and I love, I'm trying not to give away the end too much here, but it does a thing that Disney movies never do, which is it's not about defeating the bad guy in the end. Yeah. It's not about sending the villain falling to his death. Yeah. It's about <laughs> literally right? falling to, to his death. It, literally. Movies, it's yeah. about, it's about redeeming creation. Yeah. And, and it just, at that ending just melted me. Yeah. And it also like her character is fantastic and she has a complete, uh, hero's journey, which mm-hmm. is kind of, I don't know that that's ever really happened in a Disney movie before to have a female protagonist that is the hero and is the one who resolves all the conflict herself. You know, I mean, you, you, you have female protagonists, but they aren't as clearly the hero as Moana was. And I loved that. And no, um, no romance, no romance, right? No, um, that her parents are together and both alive yep. and both lovely people. Yeah. I, I just subverts all of bit. those things. I, I, the, I was really underwhelmed by the music. I mean, I liked a couple of the overall themes, but some of the songs I just thought were completely forgettable. And the wow. crab scene, I just didn't like at all. It, it felt like, oh, hey, this movie needs to be 10 minutes longer. What can we come up with? Not me. That's one of my. So, so the crab is voiced by Jermaine Clement, you know, one half of Flight of the Concords. Mm-hmm. And Lynn Manuel Miranda wrote that song, Shiny, specifically for Jermaine as kind of a David Bowie tribute song. And, right. <laughs> Sorry. And I love it. That's amazing. All right. Well, I mean, I love that some you can love something that I just don't. I don't, I don't get. There's nothing wrong with that. I love the movie. I thought it was one of yep. my favorite Disney movies in a long time too. Yep. I just was. I was. I was underwhelmed by the music. Okay. So right. is, uh, that was number four. Yep. yep. Okay. So number my number four is the one that I cheated on, uh, uh, and this is The Crown. Ah, okay. Which I haven't seen. Okay. So the The Crown uh, is a. I think it's an eight part. You know, Netflix series about uh, Queen Elizabeth, and. It is just, it's astonishing. Like, it's one of the most well-written, well-acted, well-filmed uh, things I've, I've ever seen. And it's almost unimaginable to me that it's on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what's even more remarkable is that, and this is why I, I decided to include it in, in the list, is that, yeah, all these movies are great movies, and they're, they're 90 minutes to 120 minutes long. Yep. Whereas The Crown is eight 90-minute movies. And every one of those eight 90-minute movies is, I feel like, as good as some of these others we're talking about. And that's a remarkable achievement. Um, it, it, the, the writing in this thing is just is so good. Like, they're, they're so good about not being on the nose and letting things happen visually, letting scenes resolve visually without having to, like, put the fine point on it with, uh, with the dialogue. And uh, the things that they have to say about monarchy and... And how that works with government are really interesting and complicated, and and Elizabeth's character is complex and uh, fascinating. Uh, and I just like I, it was it was some of the it was like the best eight hours of of TV I ever watched. I think. Wow. Um, I mean, there are things that I've enjoyed more, like you know, Battlestar Galactica or something, you know, where I just really get into it and enjoy it. But as far as looking at something and just appreciating how well done something is. And how entertaining it is! It, I, I I don't know what it compares to. I really don't. Hmm. It was that good. So you need wow. definitely need to check it out. 
I will. I, mean, I didn't realize we could put TV on our list, or I'd probably yeah, just. Yeah, I know. I cheated. I'd probably just put Stranger Things for all 10 slots. I don't See, know. See, like, I love Stranger <laughs> Things, but it would not have made my top 10. I feel like it's kind of like Rogue One, where I love the heck out of it, but, like, if yeah. I really take it to task, it falls sure. apart. You know? Sure, sure, sure. So. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it, but it's it was great fun. Yeah. Um, okay, so number three. So you spoiled this one for me a little bit, but um, my number three is Jeff Nichols' Loving, yeah. which, um, gosh, I liked it. I want to say I loved it, but I feel like that means I'm playing off the title, <laughs> yeah. which is not, not good. That's um, a Matt Carter and, pun if you do that. It, oh, please no. <laughs> and uh, you're right about Ruth Nega, but I think Edgerton is even better. His, yeah, he's a different person. Yeah, man, his his silence and his um, quiet demeanor throughout the whole film is yeah. unbelievable. And what what I love, you're right about how slow the movie is and how it concentrates on their relationship. And it's amazing to me that a film that tells the story of a world or a, at least nation changing Supreme Court decision has almost no scenes that take place in the courtroom. Yeah. It would have been really easy to make this a story about a lawyer yeah. or about judges in a courtroom battle, and that doesn't happen in this movie. Yeah, I remember thinking as I was watching it that uh, like he, Nichols really made a whole lot of bold choices in avoiding what anybody else would have done with the film. Like if you know if somebody came to me and said, "Hey, we want to make a story about, or we want to make a movie about this story," here, write the script. Like I absolutely would have written the script about you know all the conflict and the lead up to the finale in the Supreme Court with the arguments and all that kind of thing. And he 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 takes the opposite tack at almost every opportunity, and that's part of what I think makes it so great. Yeah, there are moments in the movie that you see a kind of cliche thing about to happen, yeah. and then it and then it never does. One of the kids is in an accident, and you think, yeah. okay, I know what's about to happen here, and then the yeah. opposite happens. And my, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and there's a lot that I could pick, but one of my favorite scenes is um, where Richard Joel Edgerton Joel Edgerton's character is at a bar with Mildred's brothers, with, with his yeah. brothers-in-law, yeah. towards the end of the movie. And they're, of course, he's white and they're black, and they're telling him, basically, now's your chance to get out of this. Yeah. Like, the, the country is watching. No one will think less of you. Uh, you can you can get out of here anytime you want to, but this is our life. This is what we do every day. This is what... We can't go anywhere. We're still black at the end of this. Yeah. And it is powerful. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, so, yeah, loving it. Yeah, I, I agree with you about Midnight Special. I liked Midnight Special a lot as well. But for my money, uh, Loving is is definitely the, the better Nichols movie of the year. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Okay, so my number three, this is actually, this is the one that I thought you were going to say when okay. you said Moana. Okay. This is, uh, it's Sing Street. Oh, okay. Which, which uh, it wouldn't surprise me if we hear from you later on. I don't know. Three is pretty high, so who knows? But Sing Who's Street was a is it uh, is I guess it's Irish. It's an Irish film that uh, kind of flew under the radar. I think it came out early in the year, 
So it didn't get a whole lot of Oscar buzz during the second half when all the big things are coming out. And it was one that I had heard of and people told me I should watch. And I was just like, okay, you know, we'll see. And then when I finally sat down and watched it, <laughs> like about halfway through, I realized I was watching my new favorite movie. And like it's, just, it's so good. It, I feel like it's a, it's almost in some ways feels like a sequel to um, The Commitments, if you remember The Commitments from uh, the yep. 90s, sure. which I also loved. Uh, I'm not sure if The Commitments holds up. I haven't gone back to watch it. But it's very much the same kind of film about a group of kids in Ireland who decide to throw together a band and see what happens. Uh, but this one comes at it from a whole different angle. It's it's funny. It's delightful. The original music is out of this world. And then you get to the end of it. And what could have, like, they could have ended it in, like, the ordinary way. Uh, and it would have been fine. But, like, the end is just unreal. It's so good. Like, they, they t- there's things that happen that I didn't see coming. And then even once they begin to happen, I'm like, oh, I see what's going on. And now it's going to go into the cliche. Like, there, there's choices made that are complex and not as simple. And uh, it's just so darn good. And it's empowering. And it's a feel-good movie. And it's got great music and great love story, great relationships. Um, I just love it to death. And I would watch it anytime anybody asked me to. Fantastic. Yeah, you, uh, you, might, you might hear some more about Sing Street here in a minute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but for mine, we're all the way to number two, I guess, huh? No, so, did you already do your number three? Yeah, oh. my number three was Loving. Okay, yeah, so we're at number two. Yeah, so my number two is another that I hate that a lot of people haven't seen. Um, and it's also another first-time um, feature debut, and this time the um, – director is uh, Anna Rose Homer and the film is called The Fits. Another one and I have not heard of. The, and, yeah. A lot of people haven't. And I hate it. This one also, by the way, streaming on Amazon Prime. So get the to your Amazon account and watch this movie. And um, The Fits is about a – my plot synopsis here is going to be really short because there's not a whole lot of plot to talk about. It's about an 11-year-old girl named Tony who's she's African-American and she becomes sort of entranced with this local dance troupe of, of young girls. And so much so that she eventually joins it as one of the younger members. And then suddenly various members of this dance group become afflicted with a strange sickness, AKA the fits that, um, no one understands, nobody explains, and uh, nobody knows why this is happening to them. And that's the story. And I can't tell you a lot more than that, except that this is this is a movie that's concerned with magical realism. Huh. And um, it's visual. It's extremely visual. There's not a whole lot of dialogue in it. Um, but it, it's beautiful. And um, and it's powerful and it's confident. It's like supremely confident. Hmm. And um, that sounds the, like it's right up my alley. Man, it's good. And the eleven-year-old uh, Tony is is played by Royalty Hightower, who is, you know, you you can't include everybody in the Oscars, and I get that. But this is one of those performances that I wish somebody had recognized somewhere because it's just it's out of this world. Hmm. And um, it's this is a movie where it really invites interpretation 
okay, what are what's happening here? These uh, fits that these girls are experiencing. Is this a movie about puberty or is it a movie about um, sexual awakening or something like that? And it just, it, it, it invites that without being clear about it. You, we could talk about it all day long, but we've never come to kind of a definitive answer on it, which I think is, it's just great. It's only about a, it's about a 72 minute movie. So it's not long. And uh, I just, I, I wish everybody would watch it because it's, um, it's, it's brave. It's a brave film and it's, uh, and it's, and it's beautiful. Yeah. Cool. Um, I'm, I'm in, I'm going to write that one down. That sounds awesome. So that was your number two. That's my number two. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay, so my number two is, this probably isn't a surprise to anybody, La La Land. Um, mm. I don't know that I need to talk a lot about it. Everybody knows what La La Land is. Um, I think the criticisms that it gets are unfounded. Uh, I, I don't think it's fair to criticize it for being a movie about Hollywood. Because, dang it, it's just a darn good movie. Like, <laughs> like you know, the old saying about, you know, a, a great film is a is a film with, what is it, three great scenes in it and no bad ones? Like, La La Land is one of those movies that has all great scenes and no bad ones. Like, I, there's very rarely do I ever see a movie that I don't want to change anything about. And this was one of them for me. Like the music, I loved the the cinematography, the way it tells its visual story is beautiful. I love that it's uh, it, it it it's it's speaking in the language of older films and seeing something different. You know, I love old musicals, and this is a better mu- movie than all of them. <laughs> like you can love singing in the rain, I do, but there's no story to sing in the rain. Um, and that's how most old musicals are. There's no real story there. Whereas this, like it's a, it's a compelling narrative all the way through and they, they, they work the music and the song and dance into it. And so like in my mind, it's an evolution of the, of the genre, you know, it's taken the old thing and it's, it's improved on it. You know, whether you like it as much as singing in the rain, um, is kind of, uh, indifferent. Um, that's not the right word, but irrelevant, irrelevant, right? Because, like you don't have to necessarily like it as much to recognize that it's doing something different. It, it's taking an old formula and adding a new variable to it. And I think that variable is like really gifted actors and a great story, which is something you very rarely find in the old big musicals. Um, so on top of that, it was a it was a story that spoke to me in a deeply personal way, and I connected with it and believed every second of that movie. And we'll watch it again many times throughout the rest of my life because I just love it completely. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of La La Land, too. Uh, it's, I walked out. I, I saw La La Land with my daughter, uh, my 14-year-old daughter. And we went home, left the theater, went home, walked in the door and told my wife and son that they needed to go see it right now. And literally, we went to the 4 o'clock show and they went to the 7. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's what it's the kind of movie that you don't want to see just once. Like, and it gets better with repeat viewings. And I even think people who were put off by certain parts of it would appreciate it more on second viewing. Could be. Um, and I'll also say that my wife just wrote an amazing uh, blog post about what she loves about the film uh, today. You should go to the rabbit room and read it it's, if you haven't already. It's called uh, "The Mad Truth About La La Land," and it will. 
flesh out a lot of my feelings about it in a, in a better way than I can do right here on the spot. So that's my number two. That's a great so here choice. We are, number one. And number one, you stole my thunder once again. My number one movie of the year, and this was my number one movie of the year from the moment I saw it, which was early in 2016, I think, um, is Sing Street. Yes. <laughs> Gosh, I like it so much. <laughs> Such um, a great movie. Again, a movie I saw twice in the theater. It's. Um, I'm so now, sad I didn't see it in the theater. Yeah, I saw it twice in the theater. My my son, my 17 year old, he saw it with me the the first time I saw it, and he said he afterwards he's like, Dad, of course you like it so much. It's it was made for you. <laughs> I, he's right, of course. Yep. Um, it's 80s music, and it's um, it's got these fun like spunky characters. This is if John Hughes wrote yeah. a musical. Um, set in Dublin. Yeah. I know that's weird, but that's kind of what it's like, except the end is so perfect oh, and man. so optimistic. And yeah. so, um, I don't even know. It's so, it, it, the end takes place in this torrential rainstorm, but it's still somehow so bright and lively and, um, yeah. And it's complicated I, too. Like, and it's complicated. I feel like that, that, that story easily could have ended with, the kind of uh, the kids kind of like just, you know, throwing up their hands and saying, hey, we're done with all your rules in society. We're going our own way and just kind of ending that way. And that would have been the mm -hmm. easy way out. But like they managed to create uh, this sense of like liberation that doesn't feel ir irresponsible. It feels yep. like you're growing into something rather than growing out of something. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, and, uh, and that's like it, that's a really like the subtlety of how that movie ends is a really hard thing to, to accomplish in writing and storytelling. And that's part of why I admire it so much. Yeah. And I, I know it's also a musical like La La Land. But one of the things that I think connects the two movies is that Sing Street is in some measure a movie about how it's OK to love to love things like to like yeah. things. Because these kids love music so much, <laughs> and to the point where, as the movie progresses, you see their their clothes and their hairstyles change along with the bands that they happen to be listening to yeah. at that moment, whether it's The Cure or whoever, and um, and of course the the character of the brother who's oh you know, he's so great he you know he's like the Irish Seth Rogen um, <laughs> is you know he's kind of you in the movie a little bit he's the one that's just on the outside wanting to be a part of this thing but can't can't do it and uh he's great and he's got a great moment at the end of the movie yeah. too and i just yeah. i just this is one that i just am gonna gush about for years and years and years and and own on blu-ray and yep. watch a hundred times and make people watch it with me you know yeah. drag them kicking and screaming if i have to because i just like it so much yeah fantastic that's a great choice um, so uh, yep. before I say my number one, I just I, which turned, I know what it is by by what by it, the way because it's very I can obvious. Math. It's obvious. Yeah. But I was going to say that like I'm just sitting here looking at my list that I wrote down, and when we did our bottom five, I totally mm -hmm. forgot to mention number seven, ah. <laughs> which was uh, Hell or High Water. Oh, okay. And cool. uh, man, I'm a sucker for westerns. Yep. And this is a modern western, like very clearly. You know, just taking on all the tropes of a classic Western, bringing it into the modern area, era. And then uh, 
using it to say something about society uh, today in a really interesting way. And on top of that, it's just brilliantly acted, brilliantly shot. Um, I, I, I love that a lot of these kind of films, like when that happens, they, they like to devolve into gory violence and bloodshed and action hero kind of stuff. This doesn't right. do that at all. Nope. Uh, it just uh, does the bare minimum and to get its point across, and, and then it's moving on. And I just love the heck out of it. Fantastic movie. Yeah, if uh, my, what I said about Michelle Williams earlier about being the best actor of her generation, Ben Foster, who doesn't get a whole lot of yeah, love for whatever I'm, reason. I'm not crazy about that dude. <laughs> I, I think he's just fantastic in everything he's in. Interesting. So yeah, he's I good. Just, I, he's fine. I think he's great. And I, I like I liked Teller Highwater a lot, too. Yeah. Okay, so that brings me to my number one. And it's interesting as I look at my, my list that there's three movies in my list that are about music. Huh. Florence Foster Jenkins, Sing Street, and La La Land. Yeah. Uh, and, but my number one is about silence, um, <laughs> which is just adorably ironic. <laughs> <laughs> so silence has been one of my favorite books uh, for years. And when I heard Scorsese was making a movie out of it, like I was in the camp of, no, don't do this. It cannot be made into a film. It's too internal. It's never going to work. And then I went to see the movie with all those reservations and was completely gobsmacked by it. Like, he absolutely translated that book into a movie. And the movie is as good as the book. And that's something I will rarely say. Um, but but beyond that, I just thought it was a masterpiece of filmmaking. Like, I loved seeing Scorsese reference Akira Kurosawa. Uh, and all of his other references. Uh, I, and then, like, the acting was just out of this world. I thought um, Garfield was just amazing. Like, I believed everything that dude said in the movie. I thought Driver was, like, appropriately weird. Um, I, they never jerked me out of the movie. Like, I believed who they were. And it, it's just... Uh, it, it's one of the most complicated movies, you know, especially about the Christian faith that I think has ever been made. I, I can't think of a better faith-based film. Um, I hate to call it a faith-based film. I don't want to put boxes on things. Yeah. But um, like if I think about it in that way, I can't think of a better movie about, about dealing with the Christian faith and what it means to be a Christian in the world and how we love people and, you know, how we deal with these hard problems. And, uh, and I get frustrated by people that think that there's something heretical going on in the film because, like, it's so uh, affirming of faith and so affirming of the sovereignty of Christ and of uh, the grace of Christ. Um, I just, I loved every second of it, and I can't wait to see it again. I, we, I was planning to see it again, and it's already out of the theaters, yeah. which is heartbreaking to me to know that, like, there's there's going to be more people that are going to go see the shack. There's going to be more Christians go see the shack than saw silence. Yeah, and that that is I think I'm afraid that that's indicative of something deeply wrong with the way that uh, Christians look at their faith in this country, because si silence is the one that appears to be heretical I think, and is actually deeply orthodox, whereas the shack is the one that everybody feels good about and is a deeply heretical movie. And the fact that people don't recognize those two, in, those inconsistencies, is problematic. I am. Um, I, I, so I was talking to a friend of mine who went to see Silence, and she told me that when she walked out of the movie, she hated it. She she just hated it, and we talked about it. And 
what she hated, I think, was she went in expecting the um, the typical at the end of the movie we have someone make a heroic yeah. have a heroic moment, we, a Braveheart ending, right? Yeah. Where um, the at the end the priest. Uh, I don't know how much we want to give away at the end of this because the end is kind of important. But the, the, the priest does fine. something, you know, that the priest affirms his faith and uh, the entire nation comes to Christ as a result or something, right? Yeah. And that's not at all what happens, right? Um, which is what makes it such a wonderful story and such a difficult story, too. And also and the, such a deeply Christian story because like, absolutely. The, our faith is about uh, God's strength being made perfect in weakness, and like Correct. the hero of this story is Christ, you know, yeah. when he shows up in this story, it's overwhelming, yeah. you know, and the, and the, the, who we thought was the hero who turns out to be just another broken man who uh, is being redeemed by Christ in a way that he never suspected. Um, and it's really difficult, but like, that's like my, my, my wife's father teaches, um, he's a New Testament scholar. And we just finished a few of his classes, and he said over and over again, he said, you know, Christianity is messy. Like, we serve a God that does things in messy ways, and that's what this film gets. Like, it doesn't wrap up neatly like you want. It wraps up in the way that things actually happen in the world, and in the way that we actually see things happening in the Bible. And, uh, like, I just, it's just, I don't know. It, it, it's, I think, the best Christian, I hate to say, like, you know, in quotes, Christian, but it's, I think it's the best Christian movie ever made. I, I, I can't think of anything better. Yeah, off the top of my head, I can't either. I mean, I, th- I certainly think that's an argument you could make. I, I I loved it. Yeah. Like I said, there's like I said earlier, there's a few things I can kind of quibble with, but but I really liked it. And yeah. and Garfield, it's it's funny that Garfield got an Oscar nomination for Hacksaw Ridge oh my and not for this. Oh, don't get me started. Hacksaw Ridge, <laughs> sorry, is not a good movie. Like, it's, it's pretty it's pretty far down on my list. There's a lot that's good about it. There are moments yes. that are great, but there yes. are huge stretches of that movie that are bad. Yeah. Um, I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, but, uh, so I but I, I do I kind of like that at least he's he's represented in some way, yeah. even if it's not for silence. Yeah. Well cool. Uh so that's my number one silence. So what do you think what are your Oscar picks for director and picture? So um I think La La Land's gonna win. Um, and I, I'd be great with that. I think I, I've, I've only seen about half of them. I think I've seen six out of the ten. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be great with La La Land winning. I'd be great with Moonlight winning. Um, or like, Manchester like, by the Sea. I'd be great with that too. Like I want La La to win. La La Land to win. I think it's the film that deserves it that I've seen. I will say though that I I would be surprised if Moonlight wins just because yeah. in the last few years there's been such a backlash against the Oscars for whitewashing. Yeah, that now, um, like this is a, an African American film that looks fantastic. I can't wait to yep. see it, and I wonder if um, if that'll if that'll uh, have an effect on how they approach yeah, the voting. It, it could, but but the deal is, it's totally worthy on its own merits. Yeah, yeah, and and, and in fact, I, I think it'll be great. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I think Damien Chazelle is going to win director for a lot of totally deserves it, and he deserves it. I mean, but I but. Again, Barry Jenkins for Moonlight, yeah, um, just just as much, if not more so. So it's kind of one of those um, will win, should win kind of things. I think Chazelle right. will, but I think Jenkins should. But but I wouldn't argue either way. Yeah. So yeah, th- that's kind of 
that's kind of where I'm at on the Oscars. I did I did have some other movies kind of on my list that I that I was really fond of that didn't make the top ten. I tried like crazy to get Zootopia in my top ten. I thought about that. Yeah, I really enjoyed yeah. that. It just didn't quite make it in there. Uh, Robert Eggers' The Witch, which is another yeah. Okay, intense so film. so I have. Let's talk about that for a minute. I saw yeah. it. Really enjoyed it. It's a good movie. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm a little baffled by the overwhelming critical praise of it. Like, I mean, I thought it was fine, you know? I just, I guess that's my, it was just fine. Like, it wasn't revolutionary to me. It was just a, a good horror movie that was genuinely creepy. Uh, and I did not see the, it did not end how I expected, which yeah. was deeply creepy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I loved it. It was just that I'm, I'm, so, I'm kind of surprised to see it in so many top 10 lists. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's actually it almost made mine. I think it's number eleven on huh. on my on my list. It I actually have kind of a funny story about the witch. Um, I saw the first half of the witch when I went to Sundance a couple of years ago, and I got sick halfway through the screening. Wow. And I had been sitting right in the center of a section of, of really tight chairs. So I got sick and I had to go. Like from anxiety uh, from watching it? No, and it oh. wasn't the movie. It was because it was my third view and my oh, third okay. screening of the day. And I had, I had forgotten to eat. <laughs> and so <laughs> my body was kind of like, no. And so, uh, but by the time, like I had to just step out for a couple of minutes and then I couldn't get back to my seat. So I didn't see the rest of The Witch for about two years. Oh, wow until uh it came out this past year so i just think it hits every note right all of the historical stuff for sure but yeah. the the evil that comes through feels so true and in such a way that a movie like um or a story like the crucible mm-hmm. um kind of hits the same sort of notes but those are really about a, a story like the crucible is really about the evil in men right and the witch is about supernatural evil. It's a it's a story that takes kind of what we believe. This is I feel this way about a, a lot of great horror movies. What we what we really believe, what our faith is, and and says that that's a real thing. And these are yeah. these are these are things that can actually happen. And so when when I look at it through that lens, it's a super scary movie. And I just. I mean, Black Phillip is, I think, it's the best uh, Super creepy. the best animal character in <laughs> years. Yeah, it was one of the things I loved about it was uh, a couple years ago, I was doing research for a writing project, and I ended up reading a whole lot of uh, early American folklore, specifically about witchcraft, like mm-hmm. how, the, how it was that they thought you became in league with the devil and yeah. like all the kind of folklore surrounding that. And this movie totally nails it. Like, you yep. can tell that they did their research and like this... Like, I got the impression that in the 18th century, like, this is what people thought was happening. You know? Yeah, it absolutely. Was, it was crazy yeah, and creepy. So, yeah, so that that's one. Um, I re- really liked um, Richard Linklater's Everybody Wants Some. That's one. Everybody, I see that. That's just really good. A lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, it was a really good year for movies. You mentioned Midnight Special. I'm just looking at my list here. Peach Dragon was great. I loved Peach Dragon. I thought uh, I, lo- the documentary I really enjoyed camera Peach person. Dragon, but I just have to say just really quickly, like the yeah. the, the prologue to the movie, the thing that happens like mm-hmm. in the car at the beginning with a young kid, yeah. so good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And I felt like the rest of the movie didn't earn its its yeah. own prologue. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's not that it was bad. It was fine. Yeah. But uh, 
I felt like it was unfortunately downhill after the prologue. So yeah. any Carl other Urban is awful. Any other movies you want to throw out there as being um, good that you like this year? Uh, there were several. I, I erased them from my list or, <laughs> or deleted them because I didn't want to talk about them. But you now I almost put Better Call Saul on here. <laughs> and <laughs> so you of, want to do a TV list is what you well, want. Well, I mean, I could, but like my TV list doesn't run that deep. Yeah. Um, I think I could probably come up with the top five, but yeah. Better Call Saul is kind of like The Crown and that it's just great. Um, it's great writing, it's great visual storytelling. Uh, they're great about showing, not telling. Like, it's just a kind of TV that you have to pay attention to. Right. Um, it's not the kind of thing you put on in the background and just kind of get the gist of. Um, and I just, I can't wait for the new season to come out. It's so good and it's so complicated. And, like, they managed to paint characters that you love and hate at the same time. Uh, characters that are deeply flawed and you're just rooting for them to do the right thing. And over and over again, they do the wrong thing. And instead of, like, just being disgusted by them, it makes you love them more, which is how you know, I think real life works, you know? So anyways, highly recommend Better Call Saul, but I left it off because, you know, it's TV. <laughs> um, and Stranger Things. I love Stranger Things. I'm sure. I don't remember what else I saw. I mean, basically everything else I saw this year was a popular kind of like, you know, Civil War. Sure. Uh, Which I love. Yeah, I'm a huge totally fan of Civil it. War. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wasn't crazy so, about yeah. Doctor Strange. Yeah. I thought it was, it was fine. It was good. Yeah, it, it was, was fine. fine. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, I, I, I don't get as, I don't get out of, to the, uh, art house theater as much as I used to, um, which I'm a little, yeah, sad I, f- I find, that. I find myself going to the nine thirty movie by myself a lot. Well, anyway, so. so I think as far as the Oscars go, like my prediction is probably La La Land. If it doesn't go La La Land, I think it'll be Moonlight. Yeah. Um, and I, that sounds fine to me. So yeah. I'm, I'm cool. looking forward to catching up on the ones. Cool. Well, it was a good year in movies, man. Yeah, man. It was a great year. And I'm looking forward to the year to come. Actually, I'm most looking forward right now to Kong Skull Island. <laughs> uh, I can't wait for it. It looks it looks so oh, like so much fun. I'm so excited. So, about I just it. like all it needs to do is not offend me. And I love it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just don't be a Michael Bay film. Be more interesting than that. And I'm all yours. For more information about The Rabbit Room and The Rabbit Room Podcast, visit us at rabbitroom.com. Music composed and performed by Andrew Osinga from his album Solar Wind.